This is Yoga Burnout with Kelly Jean Moore and Ashley Bell, a how-to guide that teases out the trends and pitfalls of the yoga and wellness landscape for students and teachers interested in a meaningful modern practice. Welcome to the first episode of season two of the Yoga Burnout podcast. What is kind of funny is that we say, like, welcome to season two. The reality is season one ended because our children got out of school and life got complicated. <laughs> so we true. were like, well, I guess season one has eight episodes. Maybe moving forward, all of our seasons will have eight episodes. Um, and now we have come out of the, uh, the sort of schedule tornado of summer and getting back into fall. And we are ready for season two. Season two. And we started season one by taking an episode to introduce folks to sort of my background and Kelly's background. I can't remember what order, but we did an episode to give um, for each of us to give people a sense of sort of where we're coming from. And so we thought we'd start season two with an episode that just sort of updates folks on where we are because we we spent um a good number of episodes sort of talking about yoga practice and yoga teaching um and i i don't we talked a little bit about how we practice and how we teach but not much Mm -hmm. um and so we just thought we'd give people a sense of real deal what our practices look like what our teaching practices look like that's going to be season in a way season two is a more present day and internal uh, dialogue for us around uh, our relationship to yoga, you know, as, as a personal practice and, and, as, and as, as work that we still engage in, right? I mean, when you say that, like the first one was like bigger, bigger picture, the state of the union of modern postural yoga. Now this is a little bit more about ju- just uh, dialing in, hugging in on the... We're going to have hugging? We're gonna... <laughs> no. Season two, colon, <laughs> hugging. <laughs> Yes. Not colon hugging. I was, <laughs> it was the, I meant the, the pun, punctuation mark. Do you remember the song punctuation from the electric company? No. Punk, 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 punctuation. I bet it's on YouTube. I'll look it up, but no. you should, I think Morgan Freeman is singing it actually. Wow. Cause you know, he was on the electric company. No. You're just teaching me all kinds of things I didn't know. I can't believe you're only, oh, it's Kelly's birthday. We're recording this on Kelly's oh, birthday. Yeah. And two weeks ago was my birthday. We're both the Libras. Libras. Um, fair and balanced. <laughs> yeah, it's not That's true. Not it's not true. I just did had my chart done again recently. Don't, don't judge me, okay? I, it's, I, it's not a trend for me, nor do I rule my life by it, but I have always... It's fascinating. Since I was a kid, been fascinated by patterns. Yeah. And you can take any construct and use it as a way to view patterns. Like any, any formula, you know, any sort of archetypal system, whatever. But I found out that I have like four different planets in Scorpio. And I was like, oh, that explains why I'm such a jerk. No offense to all the Scorpios out there, but come on. When I was pregnant and people would ask me when Pope was due, I would tell them and they would be like, ooh, a Scorpio. And oh, I, never, Scorpio. I still don't know what it means. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't. He's mean a really, anything. he's a pretty fun kid. Okay. Anyway, anyway, yeah. So, so we've already digressed. But so, okay. um, <laughs> what, what are we gonna? I, I think we were going to. We were having a conversation just moments ago about um, teaching, but I think maybe. So let's start. Let's start there. Talk to me about 
Um, talk to me about teaching. You've picked up some teaching gigs. Yeah, yeah. So last year we had closed, just really closed mission. Mm-hmm. We were in the process of that and letting that go as our season was go- getting going, right? Your and- yoga studio that you owned right. for seven years? Almost eight. Almost eight years. Yeah. So that closed... That was one of the first things we talked about um, yeah. when we started the season. So you did not teach yoga asana publicly Mm-mm. for quite some time. Yeah, I took a big break, and I'm still on the fence. I love it. Uh, so I'm teaching now at um, at a space in Charleston that is an outdoor space. It's a really interesting space to work with because I'm extremely picky. Like, I want to have really intense control over the environment when I teach. I want to know how many props we can have. I want to know, I want to control the temperature. I want to control the sound as much as I can. You know, I don't play music typically. Um, I want a quiet space. I'm just so, 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 so particular about the container. And this is so different from what I'm used to. Sometimes I don't have access to the props when I think I need them. And, um, and of course, I realize I'm completely capable of adapting to any set of circumstances and still able to teach a good class and have people have a good practice because of course I can. Um, I've just become very particular. Well, because you only ever taught at one studio at a time. Yes. In your, in your teaching history, which is very unusual as we've, as we've discussed. Yes. So, so I'm back at it a little bit. I've been teaching more like event style pop-ups, but I'm gonna start doing a regular two classes a week for a little while. And to be honest, I don't know how I feel about that yet. Um, I love the teaching I feel more like myself. It's funny. I really needed the break. Um, and then there was a tipping point. And when I went back to teach that first public class afterwards, I felt like I had come home to just a part of myself that is, is so innate and natural. And it, and it feels so good to be connected with people in that way. So I know, you know, it reaffirmed that I love it and that it does bring me a lot of pleasure, a lot of pleasure is not the right word, satisfaction. Yeah. However, also the idea of teaching week in, week out, drop-in format yoga uh, doesn't really turn me on long-term. So... Well, we've talked about one of the challenges of the drop-in format of yoga that is that you don't really get to take people on a journey because right. it, each class is more of a standalone where you walk in, you try to understand who's there you know some of, uh, some of the people probably the degree to which you know them in the practice and their practice can really vary. And then there are always people who are brand new to you, maybe even brand new to yoga. Right. You never really know. So you can go in with a plan, but, but you have to be really adaptable and spend usually the first 20 minutes. Like you can look for key markers, but like it, it can take, mo- you know, the, first big chunk of a class to feel like you're getting a sense of who's there and what they are needing or are ready for. And then by the time you sort of drop in a few bits of that, it's over. Mm-hmm. And so that, that for, you know, if to provide some context, um, that is the, the challenge of, of drop in yoga and, and is that it, it doesn't really allow for a continuum of learning. It doesn't allow um, for teachers to go as deep because it's almost like starting over every time. 
Mm-hmm. Which is funny because I have sort of the opposite situation comparatively. So I have been teaching at the College of Charleston since, well, for a while. I've sort of lost count of when I, because I taught one class and then I picked up all the sections. I teach five sections in the fall, five sections in the spring, and that uh, maps out to 13 classes a week. Um at College of Charleston. At the College of Charleston. It's yeah. a it's an activities course, so it's a two-credit course. Um, most all of my students are traditional students. I think I have, I would say, only a very small handful of non-traditional students. Most of my students are between the ages of 18 and 22. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of them have minimal yoga practice, if any, Um, and I get them for 14 and a half weeks, two to three times a week, basically 150 minutes a week. Right. Um, and, um, so I have this incredible opportunity to, um, to take them from a very foundational place, um, and try to help them to start to understand how, the energetic, anatomical, and philosophical sort of patterns and and um, and uh, and overarching themes play in um, to to a postural practice. Uh, I deal with a. I have. I, I deal with a. I'm also in an academic environment where I deal with emails. You know, where I, I post a syllabus at the beginning of every semester and then yeah. I deal with emails really. directing people back to the syllabus when they have neglected to read it or um, talk people, you know, down when they didn't read the syllabus and, you know, didn't remember the syllabus and they missed too many classes and then they're in danger of failing and and I have to assign grades for things and and um so there's a lot of legwork it's it's an ideal in that i'm getting that thing that we say is hard about drop-in um i'm getting the continuum i'm getting the consistency um it's also 30 students at a time which is more than i would like i mean that's a that's a large especially in the 50 minute classes, which end up being 40 minute classes by the time they get started. And then I leave them time to roll with their mats and put their shoes on. Cause they've got a class to go to like the next class is started the right. next hour. Um, and the big challenge that I'm having is that I actually have to kind of hold to like, there's a certain amount of content that I've decided to cover. And so I'll teach that content five times in a row. And then I'll skip to the next content five times in a row. And of course, it's varying a little bit based on the students in the room at the time, but it's not the same kind. It gets a little more redundant. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I was teaching, I did not have all of my classes under one roof like you did for all those years. And so I was, you know, going to three, four, five, six <laughs> different locations yeah. to teach. I was teaching different styles and I loved the challenge of being really intentional and specific with everything um, that I did. And so I'm missing a little bit of that. um, Well, there's a lot of fun spontaneity in the drop in format. What is fun is what you're saying is that like, okay, I just taught a series. Mm -hmm. It was a four week series. So each night we, we had the same theme all four weeks and we covered, we used similar postures, but we went from yin towards yang. Yeah. And uh, by week three, I was like, oh, I want to do something different. I'm like, the, the vibe is off for me because I'm also very, you know, very like fly by the seat of my pants and creative. Right. So 
uh, when I want continuity, I want it less from the organized subject matter perspective. I mean, sometimes I like that. That's to me, that's, that's what I experienced when I would lead teacher trainings, right? When we would right. do teacher trainings, that's why I loved them is because early on, that's what allowed me to have really the, develop those really deep, meaningful practices with people because they were consistent and we could really dig around. However, what I didn't love about teacher trainings by the end was exactly what you're saying. The level of like administrative work, the level of sort of managing of people's experiences because people, right. they don't show up, they miss class, they don't turn an assignment in. And even in a studio environment with teacher training, we, I mean, I was very particular. They had a lot of written homework oh, and yeah. I had to read it all. I made them write out word for word chunks of their classes yeah, for they sure. were to teach. And you talk about like a frustrating day. I remember the first teacher training I led and I thought how like cool I thought I was like sitting, <laughs> grading. Um, oh I was like, I'm a teacher. And I was like grading scripts and like with a red pen. But like by oh, the wow. third teacher training, I was like, oh my God, how many of these do I have to read? This is so lame. Well, it's, it is a little bit, I mean, you, yeah, when you're teaching in a, in a, in an environment where you have 12, 20, 30, or in my case, 150 <laughs> students and you have to read 150 essays or whatever, essays. it can get a little bit, not all of them are going to be, you know, riveting. riveting. That's <laughs> jinx. Yeah. But I, but I do think that, um, you know, the teaching is a weird teaching is a is a weird thing i mean the circumstances are hardly ever ideal and i think i think that with particularly with the stu the my environment one of the things that's interesting is um is that when i taught in studio settings the students that i knew the best and the students that i got to know over the course of the semester were the students who were kind of the most interested and the most enthusiastic, right? Like they would come early and ask questions uh -huh. or they would stay late and ask questions or they would come to see me other places. At the college, the students that I have the most interaction with are the ones who are having trouble. Trouble. They don't, they're, they signed up for a PE class because they thought it might be easy or, you know, and now they're having trouble just showing up for class. They're not, there's not, there are a lot more people who are just kind of there, the, 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 the in, sort of, uh, and some of them, do not get me wrong, are really enthusiastic and really love it and whatever, but there's not that kind of interaction with those students. Right. Um, so that has been an interesting thing that I've had to sort of notice because it was, this was a job that I always thought I wanted. And the reality is that reality is always full of reality. And so, right. you know, I went through a phase of like, why am I not, why am I finding myself questioning whether or not this is where What's, I really want to be? But isn't, it, isn't some of this about the energy exchange for both of us too? You know, I, like what I have really enjoyed in teaching lately mm -hmm. has been, uh, I've had two different studios invite me to come and teach on certain subjects very specifically at set times right? Um, in their teacher training programs. And so instead of running the training or being responsible for all of their experiences and juggling all that stuff, right. I'm told, you know, teach, I, I want you to teach the intro to history. I want you to teach the intro to um, the sutras. I want you to 
do an intro to meditation and like how, how, and I'm figuring out how these three things can relate and I can teach them in a linear way that's going to make sense and be enriching. And that's been really fun because one, you, it pays better. And uh, let's be very frank here. Um, I don't think most people start teaching yoga to get, to, to get rich by any means, no. but at some point when you make it your life and very central in your life, you do have to have a livelihood. And the older I get, um, yeah, no, that's the a... more I want to be paid for my expertise right. and my time at a higher level because I've earned it and because there's value there. And so drop in yoga is not able to return that. It's so, I'm, I'm more like teaching the drop in format because I have standing students, I have existing students, longtime students who really want to still be in relationship. It's more about like uh, just continuing to feed that. Yeah. But I have to be careful because the energy exchange, while it's really sincere in our emotional lives and our relationship as student, teacher, and friends, right. the hours I put in versus the... Oh, no. I mean, it's just... Well, when, this is what happens... It's, like, it's just about money, but like, damn, we, you know... Well, no. This is This is another piece. Like, I don't think any of us get into this industry to kill it financially. However, there comes a point at which, you know, within the structure, like if you work in a company, you know, you start at a certain salary and as you accrue experience, maybe you're able to move up in the company or maybe now a lot of people, you know, with the like sort of huge explosion of like small business and stuff like that, like not everybody's in that position, but I think in particular, um, I mean, I can only speak to yoga, but there is a point at which, you know, because of the way our system works, teachers come out of teacher training, they start teaching classes mm -hmm. wherever. Mm -hmm. They, I've seen teachers come out of teacher training and six months later, they're leading retreats in places, they're running workshops. So I think what happens is that when the people who have been through, ideally, years of yoga practice and then moved into teacher trainings, then come out of teacher trainings and start kind of promoting their classes, you know, like, you know, like, okay, well, I've got this stamp of approval now, so I am ready to do all the things that my previous teachers have done at the same rate, right? you know, at the same cost, in the same way, at the same times, in, the, in similar environments, it puts... It, there's a reason why yoga teachers teach to a certain point and then they just bow out because yeah. the, the model doesn't really work to support experienced teachers. Unless, I mean, with the caveat, like, unless you happen to have a lot, I mean, what we used to see anyways was like some people who had a lot of extra income due to a part significant other or like family backing, they would create a fancy website, get featured on a few things you know, like coattails of some other big teacher. I mean, there were like, there was like a very small path to find like big financial success in the yoga world, which is okay. Like I said, um, well, and you can try to be, this is the problem that I always had. I remember when I was like, okay, I'm getting to the point where I need to go teach some regional workshops. And so I went to West Virginia and I thank you. Yep. I remember that. Uh, Katrina. And I went to, um, I went to North Carolina and, and I went to Myrtle Beach and all these. So I went to a bunch of different places and started teaching workshops. And like the, the challenge is that in those, I was, it was fun. And I, you know, you get well compensated for that, but it, you know, in terms of 
continuing to like, I like the continuum of learning. I like being able to offer that. We're not going to solve this issue today, but needless to say, I think in summary, we are both still finding ways to do the things that we did for, I don't know, 18, 17, however many years. Yeah. Um, uh, but it looks different and it feels a little, you know, it's, we're sort of, you know, it's that practice of, uh, listen, acknowledge, respond within the, within the, uh, the practice of right. teaching. I, look, to sum that up, at least for myself, I would say, um, that, I am in a stage of life where I have to honor what yoga has actually taught me. In fact, our friend Beth Cozy and I were talking about this the other day. She's had this similar realization. Like there has to be a point where all of the conversation, all of the practices that we've done, they give us a certain, sorry, I'm scared my cat's going to bite my leg. So I'm obsessively looking behind me Um, because he's got that twinkle in his eye, that little devil twinkle. Um, But there's this point we get to where like, okay, Here's the primary concepts that I teach are about really smart energy management, boundaries, creating stability, allowing for ease, you know, and and really like living, using your gifts, skills, energy to the best of your ability in efficient ways uh, because there's nothing wrong with wanting to... um, feel good and well. I mean, that's what we're teaching, like how to feel well, how to like make good choices for ourselves, right? There has to be a point where we start to actually make those good choices for ourselves on a really fundamental level from our work to our family life, to our own movement practices and things like that. In a, because you, for so many years, it's not that we didn't want to make those choices the way that we wanted them. It's that we also were so passionate about what we were doing and the system structured in a way where we had to hustle so hard in order to inhabit that world. I don't know. I just, I feel like we are, I don't want to, I'm absolutely not walking away from the practice of teaching, but things must change. We, we change, we grow, we need different things. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I think that's the, I think that's the thing that's interesting for yoga teachers is that, you know, the reality is there are teachers who get to be, um, you know, I, I've known many teachers who want to, who do find like more financial stability and success by growing to a larger scale and being more known regionally or known nationally. And the downside of that is that whatever it is that gets you there that you do that people love, they Mm -hmm. then don't want you to ever change. And if you're a really, this notion of like, of, of kind of, honoring that things are constantly changing, trying to find the, you know, the consistent thread throughout, but noticing that change is, mm-hmm. is constant. Um, it's, a it's, it's really essential. And so a lot of times what happens is people get, and it happens to us too, you know, people like the way you teach a certain class or even like a certain class that you teach. And then when you shift your teaching a little bit, they don't want to go with you, which is fine. But you know, I think that, I think that, you know, needless to say, in summary, you know, I think we still have some, of, we're still looking at teaching 
um, in a really um, multifaceted way. And, and like, how is it serving others? How is it, you know, serving us? And how is it, um, how is what we're, how, how well are we able to line up what we are teaching with how we are living mm-hmm. so and that's, that's that's sort of the big that's sort of the big picture, big picture. and that is where they you know the, we as teachers for such a long time teaching is a practice we've said that before it is yeah. sort of like its own it is its own thing um that we look at uh, both conceptually and functionally as a as an aspect of ourselves yeah and that's important. We see it as a practice. And so, and that's why we talk about it, I think, the way we do. And not everyone <laughs> probably understands well, that. Um, yeah, and we're also keenly aware that when we say, you know, this is hard or that is challenging, we're not suggesting, it's not a woe is me thing. It's not like, oh, we have it bad compared. We're all just living our lives the best we can. And, and we're not, I mean, I don't think we need to get too deep today on the the personal and professional and financial challenges you and I have been through over the last, you know, while we've been doing this work, but it's definitely involved, you know, broken relationships and single parenting and, and, you know, Mm -hmm. scraping, uh, by and trying to, you know, at a time when, you know, you're, you know, trying to struggle with, I'm achieving some level of, you know, of success and, um, support doing things this way. Is it, fully working I'm not sure you know I mean like it's it's not I don't think in some ways that different from the same conversations that people have with themselves in other lines of work it's like you know do you especially if you are in a job in part because you are passionate about what you're doing it's there's always a give and take and a back and forth and working within the systems that you work in and working to change the systems that you work in and balancing like how much energy out versus versus how much um you are getting back in some capacity um whether that's financial or energetic or whatever emotional um, it's, it's always a dance, right? It's always a dance. So then let me ask you this. What, uh, how's your, how's your internal experience of your yoga lately? Like what's been on your, what's been on the altar of your heart lately? What? Sal always said that. Oh, I do love Sal. I don't think he ever asked me that. Um, golly, you know, so I think, um, so just overview when I closed reverb which is the studio I had open um very briefly in a wonderfully serendipitous way um I had kind of had it with the industry of yoga and I found it very difficult to go to public class. and I was the person who could go you know could go to really any class and then I just got to the point where I felt like more likely than not everything was moving too fast all the conversation and the talking seemed trite and and like I just I got a really bad attitude about <laughs> about yeah. public classes and which was hard for me because I I do I very much enjoy practicing in a classroom setting so mm-hmm. I teach a lot and then I have children you know I sort of teach like I approach life through a teaching lens like 
And, and so I love to be taught. I crave being taught. And I run myself to a point of energetic bankruptcy that is refilled more easily when I'm around other people um, in collective and communal practice. So that, I kind of just went, fuck it, and threw the baby out with the bathwater. And, and I will say, my um, my sort of, I shifted before I ever, before Reverb even opened, I started practicing uh, swinging kettlebells, training with kettlebells at the Charleston Kettlebell Club um, for a really long time. Uh, now I've been doing it not really long, like decades, but it's been way longer than yeah. I realized, like yeah, maybe six there... years and some or something. Yeah. Um, because I had done the same repetitive yoga movements for so long and I'm also naturally hypermobile in some ways that I really needed to build in strength. And so that's been my sort of awesome, my most consistent asana practice is working with kettlebells and it, um, the studio there, the gym is owned by, um, Brett and Mike, but I ended up connecting with Garrison, mm-hmm. um, Pollock, who was teaching the 830 group classes. Um, but Garrison has, he, he is, um, his training is, and he does all of the youth, um, he does the, the youth program for the Bethel Methodist Church. And so he has a sort of spiritual component to his hmm. work practice, and he has he has coached kids, and coached sports, and works with underserved population. Like he just we lined up on a lot of things, and in particular, our connection to the concept of spirituality, and the practice of spirituality in a day to day life really lines up. So it's it's been sort of the like I get a hit of that piece of it from him as well as the, you know, he understands, you know, how to work with bells and, and, and how to guide me through working with bells in a way that's really, um, been skillful, very skillful and intentional. So that's been sort of what I think of as my quote unquote asana practice. And then of course I'm demoing and talking about yoga, like 13 classes a week, 150 minutes times five. What is that? that. 750 minutes of 10, 12 hours a week or something. I don't know. A lot. No wonder your back hurts. And my back doesn't hurt. I've been told that my back should hurt, but that I don't feel it. Excuse me. I was was told that your, your back is messed up. Yes. It's messed up. That's what I'm being told anyway. Um, but I don't feel anymore. No. So, um, so when it, like I will, lay on the floor at home and do some yin when I have the time I will try to clear a little bit of space to you know a prana like alternate nostril breathing like like a quick hit of alternate nostril breathing will generally like take me off of a ledge um but I would say and I can tell you right now that I'm in a and also perimenopause for those of you who are not um not sure what that's about. I'm basically my, I'm basically going through puberty backwards right now. It only takes like six, seven, eight years. Who knows how long? Um, <laughs> the medical industry doesn't give yeah, they don't know. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so my hormones are all over the place. And so energetically and emotionally, it's a bit of a challenge. And I can definitely see at this point how I need to take it back and reinsert regular, probably in, um, practice, 
and at home, you know, um, into my daily life because I, the energetic component of, of that's the, you know, for me, it's the energetic component of yoga. That's really mm-hmm. the beneficial, you know, part. Um, yeah, cause I mean, I, for me, it's it, for me, it's nervous system work. Yeah, like yeah. now at this level, I, sometimes I'm dealing with like structure and function and I'm thinking about it that way, but almost always it is more about the downregulation of my nervous system, discharging through my nervous system, um, things like that. Yeah, which yeah, for sure. And I so, mean, you say energetic. We could say that the the nervous system work is not exactly energetic work, but they they go hand in hand. Especially, I mean, I think they do. So you can yeah, talk yeah, about one hundred percent. We're also working with the energetic. Yeah, and I think there for me there is through the energetic and the emotional through the nervous system work, there is, uh, I think I, I think we had a really interesting conversation not too long ago where we, I think we both, and I don't want to speak for you, but sort of like had come to the realization that we just didn't have faith in much of anything anymore. Oh, that's a, that's a whole nother podcast. But I mean, I think I know that for me, when I can get back to sort of a deeper relationship internally that I, lose that sense of hopelessness because it's usually tied to a sense of helplessness mm-hmm. that's usually tied to a sense that I have way more control and responsibility than I actually do. Right. Yeah. You know, I feel it's funny. I don't even think it doesn't even cross my mind. People will be like, where are you doing yoga now? And Cause they'll say, do you still do, do you still practice asana? And of course I do. I do. Um, I don't practice anywhere in town and it isn't a judgment of anybody else's studio at this point. It is, um, I get my like physical stimulation from other kinds of movement. Now, primarily I do an aerial class once a week. It's almost two hours from like vertical aerial arts. It's climbing and trying to attempt to invert poorly because I'm not great at it. Um, but it's challenging and fun and, um, I like that container of it being a craft, you know, so it's not just pumping something or like jumping up and down for the sake of having a thin body. It's like climbing a rope to get to the top of the rope, but also we're watching each other. They're getting ready for performances. There's a theatrical aspect. Um, So that's Uptown Aerial Arts, if anyone's interested. Pam, I love her. Anyways, I do that. I also work out at the Kettlebell Club, usually once a week, and then I have bells at home. Sometimes I can't get to the gym. I have to do it at home, and I have different practices that I do that are also intentional, and typically when I do a bell workout at home, I will still do a shavasana or like breath work or or a short meditation, some check-in things, Uh, so it still feels... Like asana. And then I do do asana. Sometimes it's only once or twice a week. Sometimes it's very gentle. Um, I won't say it's always yin, but like low to the ground, maybe rhythmic movements, just a lot of listening and waiting. Yeah. Sometimes I'll just like pull out the old Ashtanga manual and just for the heck of it, try to do the primary series. But I always end up slowing it down and tweaking the transitions. And I am with you. It's, like, it's too masculine. Like it's structure. It doesn't work for me anymore. Masculine energetically for the record. Yeah. Not, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I can lift heavier weights than people who can do the primary series. Sometimes it's yeah, not, yeah. I'm not talking about yeah. like strong or hard I'm talking about energetically, like the, the choppiness of it. Um, in, well, whatever. I still try it every once in a while, um, dust it off and, and it's work a good idea. I, I do think that sometimes I, and this is a lifelong challenge, like as an artist, like I think, 
as well or somebody that has practiced a different creative art. Sometimes the, the having to think about the idea of what it's going to be will keep me from doing it. Uh-huh. Um, it's some inertia. It's another, I have a whole Agnes Martin lecture on it that my high, or sorry, my college painting professor gave Ooh. me to the subject. So clearly in 30 years, I've, <laughs> I've really grown. No, yeah. but it's, it's just yeah. the same stuff stays relevant, but in different ways. But uh, the primary series is always like, I mean, you can just use it as a jumping, yeah. I use it as a jumping off point, but always, um, if I start with something structured, yeah. it, I, it just gives, it just lets my mind settle so I can listen and then I do whatever the heck I want. But what, the reason it's I'm not in group classes, I still, I still love to learn. Um, I don't find that drop in yoga, I'd, oftentimes it actually gets in the way now of me doing my, my sort of energetic nervous system listening. Well, and so, for the record, I, I find that I do not appreciate it's one thing to go to a class and adapt and modify postures so that they are a little bit more beneficial. It's another thing to go to somebody else's class that and they are being thing. paid to teach and to do whatever you want. Yeah, it's disrespectful. And I find that really disrespectful. I, yes. I mean, like, it's one, you know, like, oh, I'm going to maybe keep my, you know, yes, modify a little bit and adapt, but don't show up at somebody else's class and just do 50% or 70% or whatever of what you're, what they're suggesting that you do. If you're going to do your own thing, do it on your own yeah, or agreed. get a group of friends together and do it. Agreed. So, I do, I do what the class is asking me to. I mean, sometimes I skip things. I skip out on things and just chill. Um, yeah, but there's a difference between resting in child's pose and, you know, and even then if you, you know, sometimes you get in a class and you don't feel as good as you thought you would, but it's more the energetic of like, if you're going to take someone else's class, right. like do the majority of what they're asking you to do. And because I really never know what's going to come up anymore, I, I don't necessarily feel like wandering into somebody else's class to like, to, yeah. and just not knowing, and then forcing myself to do something I'm not comfortable with. Right. I would just rather, you right. know. And, and that's okay. We've been doing it a really, really long time. And that said, I do think if you can find a teacher, a little community, and you labor within that container for a while, a system of thought, a community of practitioners. I do think laboring in those, we did do that. We've done that. Um, and we still, to some degree, do it with our students, even though um, it's a little different now. Um, I think that that is what got us to the place where when we say we go to the kettlebell club and it is still our asana, I don't think... You know, it's like when you, when you say, do you meditate? And they say, no, I run instead. That's my meditation. And I'm like, okay, but that's not actually meditation. It doesn't actually do the same things. Um, well, meditation, I mean, well, we don't really have time to get into yeah, all no, that. No, but I'm just making, it up, I'm just but making yeah. a point that like, we've been doing it such a long time that um, our view, the why and the how and the relationship of movement, effort, surrender, all of the sort of concepts that are overarching that we've explored through the yoga asana landscape have now been so ingested and so integrated yeah. that we apply them 
more broadly and to some degree of success. And occasionally we still need more formal practice on our mats in some way yeah. to, to really land in our hearts more and in reflection more and in like gentleness and listening for ourselves. And I think that that's still true. Well, and it's very hard. I think almost harder than in the yoga world to find, like if you're going to use something else as asana, if you're going to use kettlebells, for example, as asana, you've got to find coaches, trainers, teachers who come to that movement practice from that internal place Mm -hmm. and want to go an inch wide and a mile deep with you. And that's what Mike and Brett and Gary said. That's what that space is about and why it resonates with us, you know, and that, that can be really hard. That can be really hard to do, but you're not going to get, you know, you're just not going to get that deep after a certain point with any kind of movement practice or, or study, um, unless you lean into people who are more intentional and also work with people in smaller group or individual ways, mm-hmm. you know, and being consistent, doing less and being more consistent. And I'm not just talking about like six months. I mean, we've developed these relationships with these people over years and years and yeah. years. It takes time. It takes time. It takes time to build functional strength in a way that is safe yeah. and really smart. Yeah. Um, but you do build it. You do. You do build it. Yeah. But you, and there are sometimes setbacks to that building strength and same in yoga this opening ourselves up to movement intelligence that is both universal and personal takes, it just takes more time than you think. And you can be doing all kinds of crazy poses and not there. And you can do a lot less crazy poses and have more movement intelligence and more personal autonomy within your movement while your practice looks less gymnastic potentially or whatever, you know? So it's just, I'm really liking, uh, I'm really liking where I'm at personally right now. A lot of the practice of yoga has flowered into my personal life as a real strong movement towards, um, personal sanity and relationship, which was always on the back burner. I was doing lots and lots and lots and lots of asana and meditation, but I wasn't taking the steps in my life in some really big, important, deep, dark places. Um, I, cause I wasn't ready. Yeah. You're not ready until you're ready. Takes time to build that strength. Takes time to build up the skills so that you can not just see what needs to happen, but you can actually choose and, and hold yourself to it in a loving way and get there. I mean, it's, well, and I think too, that it becomes, you know, just like we encourage people to kind of embrace the wobble and embrace the the process and recognize that there are no clean and tidy answers. I think that we can say that, but I think there's still a tendency amongst yogis, I'm using air quotes, um, to feel like, oh, I get it. Oh yeah. Like, and, really and, like and it's like, it, there's but... almost a period, especially early in the practice where it feels like solved and resolved on a, you know, you're like, oh yeah, I'm working on, but I think, I think the longer I do this anyway, the more I am willing to be a little gentler around the wobbles in my, in my personal Mm -hmm. life and not try to sort of, um, not, not be so, not be the sort of judgmental, like not be in that seat of, of judgment around where you have the tools. So you should, right. Do it perfectly. Well, I mean, I, t- I, t- I can't remember who I heard this from. I think from like Jessica Ruger. Oh, yeah. She said that, and I think she got it from one of her teachers, where all, everyone's always in and out of integrity. Oh, yeah. Moving in and out of integrity. And so 
I, that's been such a beautiful way to describe it because I think of it, integrity as alignment, like where yeah. your, your thoughts, words, and actions are kind of <laughs> reflective of each other. Right. Um, well, and if you attack, I mean, being in integrity is relative to, and I mean, it's like, and so if you're stuck to it, right, you can't see out of the box that you are trying to hold yourself right. in. No, di- like strict, rigid discipline that is morally critical, um, and set and, and frozen in time and space is not what we're talking about at all. Integrity sh- is something that is, co- it's an alive thing. Yeah, yeah, like balance. It's like balance. balance. Our yeah. plumb line is something that we must check in with, dance yeah. around, find. It's not, it's not right or wrong. It's like, how, how are things lining up? The really important thing that the listener needs to know is that we're having this conversation and you are wearing a headband that has two boingy skulls sticking oh, at yeah. the top. Yeah. So in case you were thinking this was getting too serious, the visual is Kelly Jane, she's got these two grinning skulls that every time she moves her head are like <laughs> ding ling 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 ding ling ling I forgot I like I mean, I forgot, but I forgot that you had to like look at me with them on. <laughs> I'm holding it together beautifully. Speaking of um alarms and dinglings i i've got to go tell people how to maintain spinal alignment in a seated forward fold oh good yes fun Fun times Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so anyway i feel like that started as here's how we're doing and quickly spun into here's what we think about everything but as always we hope that it will um spark conversation and questions and we really love to hear your questions oh the end of this season we are gonna we said we do it last year but we're really gonna do it this time we're really gonna do it this time we want questions that you might it could be well keep it kind of yoga ish okay i mean not like totally rando although you can always ask us we just might not feature it but we're gonna put together an episode at least one that is a fe- featuring one or two select questions maybe even three that might kind of dovetail together in this season. Aren't we going to do that? Yeah, I'm fine with that. I think we, I think we put it in the outline. Okay. But this is the end of our first episode of season two. That's correct. Um, so I'm so glad to be back in the saddle with you. We're glad to be, yes, back on the tandem bike together, pedaling <laughs> along, talking around <sighs> and about things. So this is Yoga Burnout with Kelly Jean Moore and Ashley Bell. Signing off. Signing off. Bye. Bye.